Lord, we pray for Simon as he comes forward to speak. Father, I pray that you would fill and inspire and overflow out of his heart. Pray, Lord, you'd quicken his, your word out of his mouth and into our spirits today. I pray, Lord, you'd accomplish, Holy Spirit, your purposes in and through us in the next half an hour or so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Ali and I were talking in the week, we were talking about the difference between a head knowledge and an intimacy. And our desire as, as our time of praise and worship, to which I'm very thankful to the team, is that we wouldn't just think about God or know God, but that we would come into that tender place. We would come and sit at the table in the presence of the Lord our God. That's the invitation for us. And Father, we thank you that you welcome us in. We thank you that you have made a way that we can have intimacy with you. It's not simply of our head, but it drops to our hearts. We're just so grateful, so grateful. We worship you, we love you. We want to continue in this place of worship and surrender to you as we open your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, lovely people. I want to start this morning with, I'm going to say a picture, it's probably more a sense. As I was praying a few months ago, and I was actually praying for Bidford, as you do, and the picture I had, the sense I had, was of a map, very similar to an ordnance survey map. There were towns and pictures of streets and even houses on an ordnance survey map. And the picture in my mind was simpler than this. And actually, um, please indulge me here, the picture I had had Bidford at the centre of it. Now, I know there were other places on the map. I know I'd seen Welford and Ulster and Stratford and Salford Priors. And I know as well there were other places. So if I've not mentioned your place of being, then please forgive me. I know there are places to the north and the south and the east and the west of Bidford. But in this map, I saw Bidford at the centre. And as I looked closer, I looked at the streets and I saw the houses. And then I looked at some of the houses and they were like candles, pillar candles. And the candles were burning. Some of them bright, some of them less so, but they were all burning. And the sense I could see was of the light wasn't simply filling each house, but the light was actually overflowing out of the house into the street and into the next street along. And as, and as I stepped back, I could see the light shining into the darkness over Bidford. And I want to speak into that message this morning, that sense of we know there's darkness there, but I don't want to speak to the darkness per se. I want to speak to the light today. I want to speak to the light of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll often, when I preach, would start a message in the New Testament. I'd start with a verse of Jesus or one of the apostles or the disciples. And then I'd go back into the Old Testament. And there's a technique called foreshadowing, which speaks of the things that speak of Jesus that he would fulfill that was prophesied about him. And then I'd take us back to the New Testament, to the words of Jesus or the life. But today I feel really stirred. Actually, I just want us to focus on the light of Jesus Christ. You see, the scripture says that it wasn't enough for the Messiah, the Redeemer, to come to redeem Israel alone. However, he would be a light unto the nations. To the nation, I'm going to say, he has become a light unto Bidford and to whatever place that you live. And this morning, we're just going to focus for 25 minutes or so about Jesus, his life. 
So today is Palm Sunday. It's a specific day in the calendar. It comes one week before Easter. And we're actually going to look at the life of Jesus for seven, eight, maybe nine days from Palm Sunday through to just after the resurrection. But Lord, I want to pray again. Would you open our eyes to see you? Would you countenance your light towards us that our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, that our hearts would receive your word and your spirit this morning? Bring it to life, we pray, in us through your Holy Spirit that dwells in each and every person that believes that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour and that he's resurrected from the dead. So let your spirit dwell up in this word, in our hearts and our spirits, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You with me? Good. And then I'll carry onwards. Um, there's good news and there's bad. I've not got notes, but I've got a, I've got a plan. And uh, let's see if the Lord's in it. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to follow up. So passion. Passion is a great word. Uh, we use it today in the modern dictionary as being an emotion or a strong feeling. But that's not the original meaning. The original meaning comes from a Latin word, patia, so I'm told, don't know how to pronounce it, but it sounds good, which comes from the word patience. And a better explanation of passion, certainly in terms of Jesus' time or in the Latin times that came afterwards, was this sense to suffer, to bear with, to endure. And when we think of the life of Jesus and what he did in going up to the cross and then the resurrection, his life was characterised, marked with bearing with, enduring and suffering. So we're going to look at six stories. Words, uh, caution, they get shorter as we go on, so um, don't worry about the time. I'm not. Each story will go quick, I'm sure. So the first story happens on Palm Sunday. And the background to this is that Jesus has now been ministering for the best part of three years. He started his ministry years, as they're known, about the age of 30. So we see Jesus about 33, 32, 33 at this time. And Jesus had been speaking this message of hope and of reconciliation. Jesus had been moving in signs and wonders and doing the miraculous. And the people saw what Jesus did and saw the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And Jesus then is just before Passover week, just before he goes to the cross, up on a place called the Mount of Olives. It was on the east side of Jerusalem, of the old city. And Jerusalem here is a city of maybe 30,000 people. It's about the size, somewhere in between Evesham and Stratford, if you want to picture it in your mind. But during the Passover week, there would be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands would come. And they say there could be, at Jesus' time, anywhere between 100,000 and 200,000 people all coming to the old city of Jerusalem and the temple to see the Passover in and to celebrate, which we'll come to later in the story. And we have this great story then of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey, of all things. And we're going to look at it in Luke 19, if I may. Reading from the ESV, the words should come up behind me as well. The triumphal entry. As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, they're the religious people of the day, in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when Jesus drew near 
and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. Now, I'm not Jesus. I don't know how I would respond. I'm on a donkey and there's palm branches and there's lots of robes being thrown down and the people are singing and dancing and making a joyful noise. And I don't know, if I was Jesus, forget the donkey thing, I'd actually be thinking, come on, guys, you can do more than that. Hey, have you thought about raising a hallelujah? Come on, sing a little louder. Maybe, maybe it'd be Hosanna in the highest, be lifted up. Hey, this is me you're singing about. I'm the king. I'm the Lord of lords and the king of kings. But that isn't what we read in the scripture. He wasn't lapping up the attention of the crowds. He was worthy of all praise. And as he said, the, the rocks would cry out, the stones would cry out if the people didn't. But Jesus was moved for the people. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept because he could see this temple that had just been built by Herod. It took about 46 years to build this amazing temple. It was being finished in Jesus' lifetime. It literally hadn't had the paint dry for more than five or six years from the time at which Jesus is talking. But Jesus could see down the road destruction was coming to the temple and to Jerusalem. And Jesus wept. And here's our first passion, and we're going to go through six passions. Our first passion here this morning is that Jesus is passionate for peace. Jesus is passionate for people who are heading for destruction. See, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He was the one who had come from heaven to earth to reconcile all to God. That was his mandate, his mission, his purpose on earth was to bring peace between God and man, mankind, us. Jesus could see that the people of Jerusalem, however, were not seeing him as the Prince of Peace, that they were going to this place of destruction, and he wept. I wonder for us today, I wonder our passion is for peace, that message of reconciliation. Where is our heart for the people, for those around us who are heading for destruction, for the lost, for those that don't yet have Jesus Christ revealed in our life? Do we carry that same passion that Jesus has? for the lost and those heading to destruction. So that was Sunday, Palm Sunday. The next day is Monday. And again, this temple that had been built has a purpose. It was set up in the Old Testament and built by Herod in the New Testament, but there's the Holy of Holies and there's an inner court and there's an outer court. There's different parts and functions for the temple. And on Monday, we'll read... In fact, let's read it now in Matthew, in Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. 
they were indignant. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? You know, it's a great story. And I want to suggest here, firstly, that I don't think Jesus is against foreign exchange currency. If that's your jam, I pray that God prospers you in it. And I also want to say that I don't think Jesus at the time was against the sacrifice. He wasn't against the idea of the pigeons being bought and sold or whatever animals. In fact, God had ordained the sacrifice. I want to suggest, yes, the people were profiting. They were making money from it more than they should. But I want to suggest the issue here is where it was happening. Rather than happening outside the temple where people could come from foreign lands with foreign currencies and buy the Tyranian shekel or whatever was the currency of the temple that day, the problem was is it was happening within the temple. You see, as Jesus said, it was supposed to be a house of prayer. In fact, we think this is in the outer court that this was happening. It was a specific court for all nations, but also for all people. It was a place where men and women and children and those of other nations could come. Those people were not allowed into, at that time, the inner courts. And essentially what was happening here is the people who were wanting to enter in were being crowded out, kept out by this den of robbers. And we see why Jesus was so moved, dare I even say with anger, to act, to turn over the tables and to send the pigeons, hopefully free. You see, here's our second passion. Jesus is passionate that all may enter in with prayer and praise. He wants us to come before him in prayerful hearts with lips praising him out of the lips of infants and children God has ordained praise. And I love this sense that the temple represents this thin space between God and humankind where God would dwell and man could come before him. And I love the fact that we as believers in the New Testament represent the new living temples, that God wants us to be that place where we can enter into close fellowship with him in prayer, in praise. And here's our second passion. Does God want us to be passionate in prayer? Does God want us to be passionate to praise him and to come into closer fellowship? To which I think the answer is yes and amen. Certainly was for Jesus. So we come to our third story. They're all little stories, but I hope by the end, as we draw it together, you'll see where we're going with this. You see, the third story is... A strange one. It looks like it happens on Wednesday, may begin on Monday, but concludes on Wednesday. And this is the moment where Jesus justifies feeling hangry in my Bible. You see, Jesus goes up to a tree, sees no fruit on it, curses it, and the tree dies. I know how he feels sometimes. There's places where I go, uh, I'm just so hungry that what I see before me ain't fruitful. I want a chocolate bar or whatever it might be. But I don't think, and I'm not sure if Jesus could ever be hangry, Forgive me, Lord. What I love about this story is much bigger. It's a story that we often talk about when we talk about the mountains. Matthew 21, Jesus curses the fig tree. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree 
withered at once. When the people saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, if you had faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, I often wonder why things make it into the scripture. Thankfully, I wasn't there when it was pulled together, but it's possible that Jesus is speaking about one specific fig tree. That is possible. And it's also possible that Jesus was speaking prophetically around either the temple or Jerusalem. But I want to suggest that it's there for us today as well. And as I've been praying about this one, I've been really stirred by the sense that Jesus is passionate about faith. And more than that, Jesus is passionate for the unfruitful things to wither and die. Now, when you actually look at the word passion in the Bible, actually, it doesn't bring great things into your Bible concordance. Often the passions it talks about are earthly passions or fleshly passions. And I want to suggest here to us today, what are the things in our life that are not fruitful? not bearing kingdom fruit, not bearing life for Jesus and the kingdom of God. Because if there is anything that is quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives, if there is anything that we're striving to do because of something of old, but actually now is not in season and the fruit has passed and will never come again, then I want to suggest that God has given us faith to speak to those fruitless trees, to speak in faith that it would wither and die. Speak to the mountains. I know this one's really stirred me up this week. There are things in my life that I know are not fruitful. They are not kingdom things. And I want to pray, having spent that time in praise and in prayer, that I can come before God and say, Lord, would that tree wither and die? That the new life and fruit that God has for me as we go through the rest of the week can flourish and grow and bear fruit 30 60, 100-fold, if I may mix metaphors and go for the good seed. God wants us to be fruitful, but often he asks us to speak into the things that are not. Speak to the mountains, beloved. God has faith for you today. So we're halfway through. To recap Sunday, we have the triumphal entry. We have Jesus who is passionate for peace. He's passionate for people heading in destruction. On Monday, we have Jesus heading into the temple. He's passionate that we may all enter in in prayer and in praise. On Wednesday, we have this story that Jesus is passionate for faith to grow, for fruitfulness to happen, and for the things not fruitful to wither away, which leads us into the second part of the week. We're on Thursday, Monday, Thursday, and as I said at the beginning, this was the beginning of the Passover week. Thursday was the time of the Passover meal. It's a time where the Israelites would come together and they would celebrate God's mighty hand and outstretched arm as he redeemed the people from Egypt, from slavery, from sin. And he would take them out of that place and into the promised land, albeit around the desert for a few years. But in this place of promise and freedom, God would bring his fullness and his life. And 
we often read in the New Testament that Jesus is at this Passover meal. And we speak of what happens afterwards. Now, it's worth saying that there are four cups drank in the Passover meal. And the first two happen before the meal, the second two happen afterwards. And we believe that it's the third cup that Jesus took. And after it, he takes the cup and says, this is my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. This cup is to signify the redemption point. That Jesus was saying, hey, in my blood, you will find redemption. And Jesus then goes out after the meal with some of his disciples, and he takes his chosen three, and he goes to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is a word that actually is made up of two parts in the Hebrew. It means oil press, or the place where oil is pressed. So the thinking behind this place is it was probably a commercial garden where there were olive groves growing, and where people would take their olives and they would crush them once, twice, sometimes three times to get the oils out of the olives. And it was likely that just as when Jesus would stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus's place in the ta- in the, out in the sticks, it, when he was in Jerusalem, he would come to this private garden, this place of safety, but this place of pressing. And I want us to think about this Thursday. Jesus has just taken and said, hey, with my blood, with my blood. Let's read the story and then we'll reflect on it. It says in Luke 22, Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. We're hours away from the cross. We're hours away from Jesus being nailed through hands and feet. But Jesus knew when he came to earth to be that peacemaker, to reconcile us to God, that he would have to first suffer, to die at the hands of others, though he was innocent. He would have to endure the pain that was to come. And here's our fourth passion. However hard-pressed Jesus was, he says in the scriptures to the point where he was sweating blood, however tempted Jesus might have been to have chosen a different path, Jesus is passionate in obedience. He is passionate in obedience. He is surrendered to the Father's will. I don't know what it would be like to know that I'm heading for execution. I'm not sure my passion is as much as Jesus. I'm pretty sure it isn't. But again, is God calling us to be passionate in obedience to him, to the Father's will? Wherever it leads, not my will be done, but yours. Now, I don't know what cup the Lord is placing in your hands, but I know this. Whenever God puts something before you, one, he will give you all you need to be obedient, and two, when you are obedient to what God says, there is much fruitfulness and life and fullness to come. Just look at what Jesus did on the cross. 
And that's where we're going next, to our fifth story. So Jesus is betrayed with a kiss in the same garden. Jesus is taken away, arrested. He is accused. And in the eyes of the people, he's found guilty, though he himself is that innocent, spotless lamb. Jesus is flogged, stripped, beaten. Nailed to a cross through his wrists and through his feet. Taking on him, not just the pain of the nails through his wrists and through his feet, not just from the discomfort where his body is struggling for breath as he can't hold himself up, but upon Jesus Christ, he carries my sin. My sin, everything that I have done wrong, Jesus has carried on his shoulders to death. In fact, more than that, Jesus carries the sins of the whole world, your sins, past, present, and future. Every sin is being carried by Jesus Christ at this point on the cross. Let's read the story in Mark 15, just a few verses. It was the third hour when they crucified Jesus. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land till the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. I'm looking forward to celebrating communion on Good Friday. But today I'm just in that place of awe of what Jesus carried, the burden he carried to be forsaken by his Father for me, for us. You see, Jesus, he was passionate enough to count the cost. He was passionate enough. He was willing to sacrifice all, his all for me and for you. And I simply ask again, what passion do we have? Are we willing to count the cost for the gospel, for Jesus? Are we willing to sacrifice the things of ourselves, our own ambitions and desires for God's glory and God's kingdom? But of course, we know the story doesn't end there on the cross. We know it continues until Sunday. And I'm, again, looking forward to being here and celebrating that Jesus is alive that he is resurrected from the dead, that he was in the tomb for three days, but now he sits at the Father's right hand and intercedes for you and for me, that we can have life and life to the full. We said at the beginning that Jesus is the light of the world. It actually says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not live in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is what is available to you and I today, that we would have that fullness of life because Jesus died and is resurrected and sits at the Father's right hand in glory and intercedes for you and I and has sent his spirit to live in us. I did say that this was passion, forgive me, but this is the gospel message that we want to proclaim. And that leads us to the sixth passion that I want us to get to. In fact, let's get straight into it. In Luke 24, it says, as Jesus appears to his disciples, Jesus said to them, thus... It is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the dead. 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Christ's name to all nations and Bidford. Beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witness of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. Do you know, it's a great story here, and I just want to focus very quickly on the passion, then we're going to draw it back to the map. You know, Jesus is passionate that we, that I, that you proclaim forgiveness and new life in Christ's name. Let me say that again. Jesus is passionate that we, that I, that you proclaim in Jesus' name forgiveness and new life. And he doesn't just leave you with your voice. He says that you will be clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit that is promised to each person, as I prayed earlier, for all who believe in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, who profess that he was resurrected, receive the deposit, the down payment of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our spirits, that we can be clothed in power, that we can be emboldened as the apostles were, as the early disciples, that we can say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and we declare that because he is Lord, his kingdom can come and will come in this place. The Spirit of God brings us life and life to the full, but let's not hold on to it for ourselves. Let's see the Spirit of God moving signs and wonders at this time for Christ's name and for his kingdom. As the band return, worship team, bring us back to that place of intimacy. I want to bring us back to our map. And look, it doesn't have to be Bidford. It's just the picture that I sensed I could see. I could see Bidford. And I want to ask the question, if Jesus Christ is the light of the world and passionate about these things, what would happen if we were passionate as peacemakers? What if we were passionate for the lost, for our brothers and sisters or our children or our parents, for our friends, for our neighbours? What if we had that passion? What if actually... Just like Jesus, who has now made us to be living temples, what if we were to take that call, that call to action, to prayer and to praise? What might we see happen in this town at this time? Likewise, if we would speak to the mountains and to say, God, take this thing away from me, this unfruitful thing, may it wither and die. Would it be thrown into the sea like that mountain that Jesus has spoken of? What would things be like in this place? What if we were called, like Jesus, to live in obedience, having cast out that was of the old, that God would speak and call us to be obedient to his word, that we would say, your will be done. What if like Jesus, we would be willing to sacrifice our all, to be obedient, to count the cost, whatever it might be. And lastly, what? What if we as a people, a church, a body, would proclaim forgiveness, new life, clothed in power? How bright would we look, not just as a church, but as a place 
the places that we live where the glory of the Lord falls afresh in power. You see, I think that is kingdom living. That's, I believe, Jesus' mandate to us to carry the passion that Jesus has for those that he calls us to. So I've got only two responses. There are many more. Can I encourage you to stand? Not anything other than just to shake off the cobwebs, but... This is a message that's been burning in me for a little while. And I know for yourselves, it's the first time you've heard it. But I do want to pray for each and every one of you that you would receive all that God has for you this morning from his word and his spirit. And I'm asking two simple questions. Firstly, is God prompting you to speak to the mountains? Is God prompting you to look at the unfruitful things and say, today is a day where they are to go? You see, I, for one, and I know the ministry team and the leadership team would gladly lay on hands and pray in faith that God would bring you into that place of freedom in Christ. So is God speaking to you this morning about the unfruitful things that need to be cast away? But secondly, Paul, when he's praying in one of his verses, says as well that he wants us to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Whatever the Lord has put in your hands and you are obedient with, God wants that to be used for his glory. And again, I would gladly, passionately pray with you that God would increase whatever he has put before you. Fan into flame the gift of God this morning. I see a church on fire for the Lord. I see a town that is set free from bondage, coming out of slavery into freedom. And I simply ask, is that what you see this morning? For whatever the Lord has put on your heart today that you see, would God fan it into flame today? For his glory, we ask. Amen.